So Money episode 1169, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to Ask Farnoosh. I'm Farnoosh. It is March 5th, 2021. Our daughter celebrated her fourth birthday this week on March 3rd, 3-3. A lot of people born on 3-3, I noticed. It was a big birthday day for many people. I don't know. A lot of people getting busy like nine months prior to March 3rd. It seems to be a popular time to try to make a baby. We had a nice celebration, albeit COVID style. We rented for an hour this play gym, indoor play gym, which is a great idea. I was thinking, you know, as a business owner, that that's not a bad way to make the most of the current world that we live in. You know, they charge you whatever they charge you for the hour and it's clean, it's safe, and it's a way for kids to you know, just let it loose. And so she did that with her brother for an hour on her birthday afternoon, followed by opening presents, pizza, cake, cupcake. We had a whole Minnie Mouse theme going and we got her lots of presents, a lot. We rationalized it because we thought, well, if we had given her a birthday party with like 10 friends, she would have gotten, you know, all these gifts. And her brother, of course, didn't want to leave him out. So we got him a few things. So we aren't spending any money on travel or restaurants or new clothes really, but look out if it's your birthday, mama's got a big budget. Who did we have on the podcast this week? I just want to give shout outs and remind you because you know, weeks get busy. You might miss out on some of the excellent people we have on the show. Monday, we had Meredith Feynman on the show. Ooh, Meredith talks about how to be a better bragger. Is that even possible? Like we never associate anything positive with the word bragging. You know, maybe if we say humble brag, but she tells us like, don't even humble brag. That's actually not productive. And that won't actually make you seem self-deprecating or humble. It actually does the opposite. So how to brag effectively, especially when it comes to promoting yourself at work, being an advocate for yourself in your financial life, in your career. She's got some really great strategies. And then on Wednesday, oh boy, if you listen to nothing all month, please run to listen to Laura Day. She has spent nearly four decades helping people and organizations and companies harness and develop their innate intuitive abilities to make decisions and make change. She's a New York Times bestselling author. Newsweek calls her the $10,000 a month psychic. She's predicted Wall Street crashes. And so I really wanted to have her on the show to talk about intuition. What is it? How to work it to get us closer to the right, the quote unquote right decisions and like what is a right decision? So if you're wondering, if you're contemplating a move right now in your life, a big move, a shift, you want to listen to Laura She has some great, great insights and her books are incredible. So if the podcast, if you want more after listening to the podcast, you got to pick up her books, uh, Practical Intuition and The Circle. All right, we got lots of good questions from our audience members today. Before we get to the mailbag, let's go to the review section and pick our reviewer of the week. Leaving a review, you may win the chance for a free 15-minute money call with me. We really get into it. We can talk about whatever you want money, but also whatever, you know, career, kids, politics, 
I'll go there with you. All right. This week, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Kat Kennedy, who left a review on Monday. And this is the coolest title, I think. She said, like a cool, rich aunt with great advice. You know, I've always aspired to be the cool, rich aunt, even when I was in college, because I wasn't sure I wanted kids. I wasn't sure I wanted to get married, but I was like, I'll be anyone's aunt and or aunt, as we say, growing up in Massachusetts. So here I am. Someone recognized this in me. I'm not an aunt yet, though. So, Todd, if you're listening, get on it. Kat says, when I graduated college, someone gave me the book Millionaire Teacher, which made me realize I knew nothing about personal finance or finance in general. I was an engineering major, but had no concept of the stock market, investing, or anything, much less what to do with my student loans or why a credit score even mattered. Growing up poor and a first-generation college student, I've always been a frugal saver, but never knew that there were ways to make money work for you. Farnoosh has since taught me all of that. Seriously, she covers every topic under the sun. I am truly grateful for her work and recommend her podcast to all my friends. Kat Kennedy, call me, email me, DM me. We need to talk. We need to have our free 15-minute money session. Would love to know where you're at now in your life, where you are in your journey, a crossroads perhaps. I can help you. Email me, Farnoosh and So Money Podcast. Direct message me on Instagram, or you could tweet me. Let me know that you're the cat, the amazing, generous cat who left this review. And I'll promptly reply with a link where you can pick a time that works for you to talk to me. I just finished a phone call with Sarah in the audience who had some really important questions about taxes. And we talked about paying down debt and the importance of celebrating your wins. Okay, let's go to the mailbag. Very excited. We've got so many good questions about where to invest, how to save for a child, how to save for kids. And have you guys heard of stock slices? A listener is wondering about stock slices and whether they're a crappy investment. I've got some thoughts. Let's hear from Megan first. She says, hey, Farnoosh, absolutely loving your podcast. I have a question about mutual funds and ETFs. I'm 31 and my bank set me up with mutual fund investments when I was 25. I have been happy to contribute over the years, but now I have had a couple of money-minded friends say to me that I should move all of that money out of the bank and to ETFs through a brokerage ASAP. What would you advise? It's nice to have money-minded friends, Megan. Good for you. They say that you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with and outside of your family, I guess. So think about who your friends are, who your colleagues are. Are they teaching you things? Are they giving you honest feedback? Are they inspiring you? Sounds like you got some good friends there, Megan. And I do agree with them, assuming that where your money is currently parked is carrying higher than normal fees. So the reason I'm going to guess that they are encouraging you to move your money to an online brokerage and invest in things like exchange traded funds, which just a quick sidebar, what is an ETF or exchange traded fund? This is a type of security that tracks an index, a commodity, a sector, any kind of asset. It can be bought and sold like stocks on the stock exchange. And so it has liquidity, which people like. You can cash out at any point. But it it is a fund, so it is diversified. It's got a lot of different ingredients, and it's pretty passive. So the cost to engage with an ETF, to invest in an ETF, is significantly lower than, say, a very actively managed mutual fund. In addition, 
addition to ETFs, which I like, there are also index funds. We talk about that on the show a lot, and they're pretty similar to ETFs. The biggest difference is that while ETFs can be bought and sold throughout the day, like stocks, index funds can only be bought and sold for the price set at the end of the trading day. But look, on this show, we don't really talk about trading or buying and selling fervently, right? We really think about buying and holding. And so that aspect of an ETF being sort of more liquid is a nice to have, but it isn't essential when you're thinking about creating a long-term buy and hold portfolio. The biggest draw, the biggest incentive is the cost, I think, and also the performance. You know, it may sound like they're not going to perform as well as an actively managed mutual fund, but uh, the studies show that passively managed funds like index funds and ETFs that sort of ride an index or ride a commodity do well. They do just as well, if not better, than actively managed funds. And they cost a fraction of the price because they're passively managed, because they don't have, you know, a lot of people, teams going in there making moves on your behalf. So I will concur with your nice friends that it it would make sense if you want to build upon this portfolio to move it over to a brokerage, an online brokerage that does have IRAs, individual retirement accounts, Roth, traditional, SEP IRAs, there's a whole bunch of them, depending on where you are in your life and what you need, that can also give you access to a variety of investments, including ETFs, index funds. But here's the thing, when you sign up for these brokerage accounts and you know, there are so many. There's Schwab, there's Betterment, Wealthfront, Elevest. I mean, I always say you can't really go super wrong with these robo advisors slash automated platforms insofar as they have a lot of the same fees, they offer a lot of the same investments and the same types of plans and portfolios. The main difference I find across the board is the UX, the experience. And some are a little bit more, they index more heavily with like hands-on help. So some love to tout that they have live uh, person who can help you with your investment choices. But you don't have to worry about picking the ETFs or picking the index funds or mutual funds when you sign up. They ask you a bunch of questions about risk tolerance, when you want to retire, your goals, et cetera. And then the algorithm creates a diversified portfolio across all the different sectors, across all the different asset classes, using mostly, if not all, ETFs and index funds. So I would do it. It is the financially smart thing to do. You can definitely cut down on your fees, get similar, if not better results, and work with a brokerage that can offer you something that is designed specifically for retirement. So thank you for this question. I know retirement is actually one of the top, if not the top question, theme of question that I get on this show, which may surprise you given that my audience is largely people in their 20s and 30s and some 40s. We're really thoughtful people on this show. We really care about our future selves. So I love questions like these. And speaking of stocks, Jenny Lynn wants to know if stock slices are a crappy investment question mark. She says, if I'm interested in a stock, can I put a little bit in and just observe it as an educational tool? So yeah, I've heard of this, Jenny Lynn. I've heard about like Charles Schwab is offering stock slices, some other brokerage firms. And the idea is that, you know, while we may not be able to afford the sticker price for one share of, let's say, Amazon or Apple, 
or Berkshire Hathaway, you know, you may be able to still participate with stock slices. So instead of buying the whole stock, you can buy a fractional share. And in some cases, for as little as $5, I think this is a great way to engage kids. Not again, because we want to talk about buying and selling stocks, but we just want to educate the kids and also yourself on how the market works. If this is just an aspect of your investment strategy, I'm all for it. I wouldn't do this as my general approach to investing. I think you got to go back to what Megan's doing, which is opening up an account with a brokerage firm and getting those funds in your portfolio. But if you are just curious about the stock market, you will have a an, a love for particular stocks and you can't afford them. And you'd like to create this sort of diversified stock slice portfolio, knowing the risks, knowing that the prices are going to go up and down and that this is not the best way to invest in the long run. It's just a supplement maybe to your approach. I think it's great. You can also get a fraction of an ETF, a slice of an exchange traded fund. So there's also that way to get into this type of investment. One reason that people like stock slices, and I'm talking about like financial experts and financial advisors, is that it is a way to sort of dip your toe into the investment world if you don't have a lot of money to begin with. Again, why I think it's great for teens who are making money, you know, from summer jobs or whatever, and they want to invest, you know, which is, I think is a great exercise for teens to get them acclimated and educated about the stock market, but they can't buy a full stock share. So they might buy a slice. It's a great way to build a very diversified portfolio of your favorite stocks, you know, more affordably. And I would do this after you've paid off all your debt, after you've got the emergency fund, right? After you've maybe maxed out your 401k at work and also you maybe your IRA or Roth IRA. And then you get into fractional shares. This is extra. This isn't the meat and potatoes of your investment strategy. All right. I see Jennifer has a question next about kids and money. But first, I want to skip over to Lillian, sticking with our retirement slash investing theme here, because Lillian uh, is in a bit of a pickle, a Roth IRA pickle. She says, hey, Farnoosh, we were penalized for investing in our Roth IRAs because we were way over the limit for who can invest in them. We have a financial guy, but hadn't updated our income with him in some time. And so clearly we were caught unaware. What a place to be in. What would you suggest? just for us now. Mutual funds? We could up our investments there, I guess. We're just face palming all over the place. So much for being on top of things. All right, Lillian, it's fine. You live, you learn. I'm sorry this happened. You say you have a financial guy and I get maybe you lost touch with this person, but I'm curious, um, did he have any suggestions for you in the aftermath? And I hope you're not paying this person. That aside, your options now, Lillian, are to open up perhaps a traditional IRA. And I assume you don't have access to a 401k at work or a 403b. If you do, then I would do more in that department. And the other option is to just open up a brokerage account, which doesn't have the same tax benefits, but you can access this money at any time, penalty-free. You can withdraw it whenever you want. The goal should be, though, to design this to be a long-term portfolio. So for us, my husband has a 401k at work. I have a SEP IRA because I'm self-employed. Once we have maxed those out, then we contribute to a brokerage account, which is basically just a portfolio of ETFs and index funds like we talked about earlier. It's just a way to supplement our retirement. But it's also nice to know that this is money that we could tap if, let's say, in 10 years, we needed it for some reason 
or who knows, I want to retire early. I can't, I can't take money out of my SEP IRA yet because I'm at 59 and a half, but I've got this brokerage account. So you've got options. Now, just to recap for everybody, a Roth IRA, it does have income limitations. You cannot contribute to a Roth IRA when you start making too much money. If you file taxes as a single person, your adjusted gross income has to be under $139,000 for the tax year 2020. And then for this year, 2021, if you want to contribute to a Roth IRA, you have to make under $140,000. So just keep that in mind because you can forget, you know, and if you got a raise one year or if you got a bonus or anything like that, that can add up and you don't do the math and suddenly you've done a financial no-no. It's not like you're going to get arrested, but there is a penalty. There are ways to remedy the excessive contribution but you have to do it before you file your taxes. And lo and behold, our listener here said she realized this only after doing her taxes and filing them. So these won't apply to Lillian, but I just want everyone else who's listening to be aware that if you have yet to do your taxes and you realize, oops, I put too much money in my Roth IRA, one option is to what's called recharacterize your excess contributions to a traditional IRA. If you don't qualify for a traditional IRA or don't want to do this, you can also withdraw the extra contribution made to the Roth and you just do this and you say, oops, sorry, but you don't have to pay any sort of penalties so long as you did this before your tax return is due for that year. So April 15th for most of us this year. You can also keep it in the Roth IRA, the the contribution, and apply it to a future year's Roth IRA. But of course, this assumes that maybe your salary will go down. If you choose to do nothing and let the money sit in the Roth IRA when you weren't really supposed to contribute, then you're going to have to pay 6% a 6% tax penalty every year until you've fixed the problem. And I suppose by fixing the problem, it means doing one of the above that I just talked about. Are we still awake? I'm serious. Roth IRAs are really awesome and hot, but that was a lot of explaining and I apologize. If you want to learn more about Roth IRAs, you can go to nextadvisor.com. You can go to investopedia.com, nerdwallet.com. But Lillian, you know, if you've been paying this financial advisor you should get your money's worth and get him to tell you what is the best thing to do. But thank you for reaching out to me. Our next question is from Jennifer and she says, Hey Farnoosh, which of your episodes do you recommend for children and savings? I just had a baby last month and wondering which accounts to open up for him. I just had a baby last month and I'm wondering which accounts to open up for him. All right, Jennifer. Well, congratulations on becoming a new mom, all sorts of feels. It's really cool that you're already thinking about saving for your child. Firstly, I know it might sound crazy at this very early stage, but saving for college, it's never too soon. I know that we all debate about the future of college and you don't even know if your kid would want to go to college, which isn't really a bad thing these days. It's not like you have to go to college, but it's still highly recommended if it just wasn't so expensive. But that's why if it's important for you and if that's something that you really want to encourage in your children to have some savings. And the vehicle that we use here in my house and so many Americans do is the 529 College Savings Plan. We've talked about this a lot on the show. You can go to my site, somoneypodcast.com and in the search bar, type 529. And there you'll find a lot of great episodes, conversations with people like Ron Lieber, who is the financial editor of the New York Times. He's been on the show a number of times. And most recently this 
this year, actually, earlier this year, he was on to talk about how to save for college. So 529 plan for your kid. If your kid doesn't end up going to college, you can change the beneficiary to someone else in your family or yourself. Or along the way, while you're investing in this 529 plan, you're like, I really need this money for private school. Now you can actually use a 529 for private elementary school. That's more of a need. You could tap it for that. And the benefit of a 529 is that it's kind of like a Roth IRA. The withdrawals are not taxed when it comes time to apply that money towards qualifying college expenses, things like tuition, books, room and board, et cetera. But worst case scenario, if no one's going to college, then you can withdraw the money and just pay the taxes on it as you would on any other sort of investment gain. Outside of college savings, if you just want to save money for your child, for him to tap that at various stages of his life, you could just open up a bank account for him and start contributing. Eventually, if your child gets a job, you could open up a custodial IRA and put his money in that uh, custodial IRA, which is basically an IRA for your son. You as the adult, as a legal guardian, would sort of oversee it until your child is of age. But it's a great way for parents to give their kids a leg up towards retirement if their kids are making money throughout their childhood. Okay, next question is from Morgan, who says, I have a question regarding mortgages currently in the home buying process and expected to close in August. I spoke with my bank and they have offered locking in a rate at 2.875% for $4,000. The fee is to lock the rate and pay for discount points. Does it make sense to lock this in or should I wait until closer to closing and put that $4,000 towards the down payment? This is a great question. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be facing this. There is no slowdown in the home buying process in 2021. I was just reading that January home sales were up like 23 or 25% year over year. And if you live in Montclair, good luck, buyers. Good luck. It is bidding war left and right. The biggest reason to lock in your mortgage rate is really just to be able to sleep better at night knowing that you know what your mortgage payment is going to be, that it's not going to fluctuate or change at the last minute. I wouldn't recommend locking it in too soon. So I'm not sure where you are in your home buying process, the timeline, but the advice that I've generally followed is that you want to lock it in as close as you can to the closing date, usually like 30 days out. And this is because by now you have done the appraisal, you've done an inspection, you've gotten obviously the contract signed. So there aren't going to be any surprises. There aren't going to be any reasons to like delay the close. And if you like the rate, you should lock it because then you know, this is it. This is the price you're going to pay. And you do pay $4,000 for it, I guess. But talk to your bank and see if there's any wiggle room there. As I've mentioned in the past, when we were getting our mortgage last year, we were able to get a lower interest rate because we moved some of our savings to that bank that we were getting the mortgage from. The bank had what it called a relationship discount. So we'd never done any banking with this bank. They were the bank that offered us the best mortgage. And our mortgage broker there was basically like, look, your rate is X, but if you bring over some savings and create a deposit account with our bank, then we will reduce 
your rate at no cost. So maybe that's a way to offset the risk. Like if you don't want to lock it in, is there something else you can do that can counterbalance it? So if you don't want to lock it in and the rate does go up to say 3% by the time you close, you've got that relationship discount, which will bring it back to 2.875. Does that make sense? I don't think rates are going to go up gigantically or down gigantically. I think it's going to pretty much hover around 2.8 to 3% for the next 30 or 60 days. You know, rates don't usually jump dramatically overnight or within weeks. It's just, you know, it's it's usually very nominal, the change, but it's not a little bit of money when you calculate 12 payments times 30 years, right? So you do want to be smart about it. The other thing you can calculate is like if you don't lock it in and let's say rates do go up to 3, 3.1%, what is the new mortgage going to be? And is it going to cost you more than $4,000 over the long run to have that rate? It's really insurance, right? Uh, To make sure that you're going to get the rate that you expect, that you were told, no surprises, peace of mind. So bottom line, good to lock in the mortgage rate because it can protect you from potential rising interest rates. It's going to effectively raise your mortgage cost month to month to month for the next 30 years. In that way, for some people, it's very much worth it. But talk to your mortgage advisor who could perhaps give you a prediction of where rates may or may not go. But 2.875% is outstanding, Morgan, and congratulations and good luck to you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That is our March 5th edition of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks to everybody who wrote in, Megan, Jenny Lynn, Jennifer, Lillian, Morgan. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I hope your weekend is so money. 